You are listening to the Climbing Advocate Podcast. I am your host, Peter Horgan. On this podcast, I will be chatting with folks who care deeply about the climbing environment to discuss the advocacy work that's happening beyond the crag. My aim is to connect more climbers to the important work that these advocates are doing day in and day out. From the small local crags to the nation's iconic landscapes and to the offices of our nation's capital, no crag is too big or too small to not have its interests represented. This show is brought to you in partnership with Access Fund. Since 1991, Access Fund has been keeping the crags, boulders, and alpine environments around the country conserved and cared for. Support Access Fund by visiting accessfund.org and by supporting your local climbing organization. Hey everyone, this is part two of the conversation I had with Jason Keith, Access Fund's Senior Policy Advisor. I believe in the first part of this episode, I mistakenly listed his job um, title as policy director. So I just want to make sure I got that right this time. He is the senior policy advisor for Access Fund. Anyway, our, uh, our final topic of our discussion was the current affairs surrounding Bears Ears National Monument. The varying interests in this area are pretty expansive, making the designation and the reduction of the monument very controversial. So Jason highlighted these interests, putting emphasis on climbing, of course, but certainly didn't ignore the extremely important cultural interests and the other interests and uses in the area as well. A lot of question marks still linger um, in the future management of this area, particularly in Indian Creek. And while the days of old are, of course, desired, and as much as we would like to see the place look the same as it did when we first came, changes do seem to be on the horizon. But you'll be able to have your say and give your input here soon towards the end of the year, as Jason will highlight at the end of the episode. And I know I'm not alone when I say that this area is really special. So being, air, so being able to get the inside scoop on Bears Ears from an expert was very helpful in providing some perspective on, uh, on what's to come here down the road. So buckle up for some more policy talk and enjoy my second half of the conversation I had with Jason Keith. Well, sweet. We we went over Emory in the quite uh, yeah quite detailed conversation on that, and that kind of segued into wilderness. Now I like to switch gears to Bears Ears. This is big on I think a lot of people's radar, and I like to dive into that a little bit. The history of this proposal for this monument is really unprecedented. There's a mm-hmm. number of, of firsts associated with this with this designation. Um, this is the first time climbing was actually written directly into the proclamation. Yep. Um, it's the first time that the tribes would have worked with federal officials to operate a public lands unit collaboratively. I mean, this is just monumental and very innovative and really impressive. And this was supposed to come, and the first potential avenue was through the public lands initiative, which you mentioned earlier, correct? The PLI? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And that ultimately didn't work out. So that was supposed to be, yeah, that was supposed to be the first way they went about doing this before they went through presidential action under the Antiquities Act. What more details can you can you provide on the history of this monument and where we are at today? Some of the key points to think about here too are just kind of why, right? Like, why do we even need a monument down here? Like, mm-hmm. what's the point? And and the point really is that. This place is, is really, if you measure how you value 
public land area, whether it's a park or a place like Indian Creek or something like that, by how many resources you provide to manage that place. Indian Creek's like the most undervalued climbing area in the country. It's just almost bizarre how little, how little money that the Congress has appropriated to the BLM and how little the BLM has to manage this place that is clearly world-class. Yeah, very true. I mean, it's just like you can't... This, And so if Congress had just appropriated resources for the BLM to do its job... We wouldn't even have this conversation. They would just be managing it as a as a high value recreation area, and they would also be managing places like Cedar Mesa with what they need to protect those world class cultural resources, mm -hmm. right? And I think what's what's important to realize is that uh, even before the monument, use was growing exponentially. At the same time, other multiple use pressures were were coming on the area, in particular resource extraction. So potash in San Juan County and Grand County is really big. Oil and gas development has been in boom and bust for a long time, especially kind of just north here in Moab. A lot of people don't know because producing oil well for a couple of years was just north of us here at near Dead Horse Point. That's why all those gas pipelines are up there. Mm -hmm. But um, so there's a lot of pressure from resource extraction. There's been on and off kind of resurgence in uranium and, and other odds and ends, right? And so, and yet the BLM has like zero, I mean, when was the last time you saw a ranger at Indian Creek? I mean, I, sometimes you'll see them down there with a pump truck, you know, or something to the toilets, but. Yeah, I've been going there for, I don't know, coming on seven years now, but not like super long, but like I have never seen any kind of LEO down there. <laughs> yeah, or even just interpretive person. Yeah, like, exactly. Or somebody just, and, you know, most climbers overwhelmingly do the right thing if they know what to do, you know. And the, But there's just, like, so little going on down there. And so we founded Friends Indian Creek. I founded that with a couple people back in, like, I think, oh, three, when the first sort of management for that corridor, the first management plan came together, which was really mainly a kind of a camping plan because the camp – Camping creep was just getting out of control. People were just driving out onto the desert and creating new campsites everywhere. Yep. And um, <clears throat> and then there was the human waste problem, and then there was the trail problem. And and you know, looking back, it's almost quaint in 2004 compared to the numbers we have now <laughs> down there. And you know, I you know, they're old timers way before me. I started climbing there in like the early early to mid 80s. And there's tons of other climbers that have been going there even before then. What's funny about the creek is that people love that place so much. And they all want it to look like it was the first time they drove in. You know, whether it was last year or 25 years ago. Yep. And the, the common thread is protect the natural, undeveloped character of the place. You know. Mm -hmm. But it was pretty obvious that the wheels were coming off on that. And that, they, that the BLM didn't have the resources to do that. And they didn't have what we like to call landscape level planning, yep. which is not, you know, just not spot zoning essentially for, oh, well, just, you know, we won't consider the implications of this parking area, that trail on this adjacent area because the need is right there, you know, that kind mm -hmm. of thing. Right. Or even like broaden that out even further. We, we were really interested in better, smarter planning, resources dedicated to this place. And an actual plan that looked at the, the, the landscape holistically, right? And, and for values 
bigger than just climbing. Like most climbers I know, you know, they want to protect their view shed. They, they appreciate cultural resources. They, they understand the value of other, some of these other multiple uses, you know, the, the dugout ranch in the history of that place. Yep. You know, I was just there today meeting with Matt Red and talking about management plan for, for the monument. It's really uh, informative to talk to folks like them that have the long view, you know, that grew up there and see the growth numbers every year and um, see different places for impacts that the climbers don't always see because maybe climbers have their own routine there or something, you know. Anyway, so we had this big interest that we were hoping was going to be addressed in the public land initiative because they weren't even talking monument initially. They were just talking about other designations for that um, for that landscape. Yep. Some of them would be national recreation area or there was a national conservation area push that uh, seemed to fit really well because it didn't have as restrictive regulations as wilderness, but it had really high conservation values and still allowed for some uses. And then that was going to be mixed in with new designated wilderness. And it's going to be all these other places where the county could still get revenue for oil and gas development in the southeastern part of the, the county, you know, and that mm -hmm. kind of thing. When that, when it became clear that that bill was on the rocks, the public land initiative wasn't going to make it, Increasingly, more and more folks were coming forward supporting what had long been a tribal proposal for a Bears East National Monument that was really going to be tribally focused. And in those days, President Obama was really um, focused on underserved communities. So this was a really compelling idea to that administration that there would be a monument there that, yeah, there were these world-class resources like climbing in Indian Creek, but I mean, World Heritage Site level resources at Cedar Mesa, right, for, for uh, cultural resources. And also a long history of, of these local tribes really not getting the respect they deserve. You know, a lot of them Pueblo tribes, but Navajo and, and Ute tribes and others. And so the conservation community came on board and they were everybody was gung-ho, monuments, monuments, and um, let's do bear's ears, right? And as the access fund, we actually waded into this very cautiously because, you know, living here in Utah, the politics of Utah and public lands is really toxic. It's, mm -hmm. there are some of the most hardcore, right-wing, sagebrush rebel, states' rights people you'll ever meet here. And the same is true, <laughs> candidly, of some of, the folks in the conservation community that are take no prisoners approach to um, advocating for land conservation. And so with the two of those kind of voices, a lot of people that aren't, aren't as hardcore, maybe is the way to put it, uh, kind of lose out. And it's a winner take all approach to stuff in Utah and monuments are really, really controversial ever since Grand Staircase. Now, whatever your views are, on monuments, I mean, I tend to think that a lot of monuments are exceptionally good. A lot of our national parks that were were originally national monuments, Joshua Tree, Arches, other places, yeah, but so for many. that executive action to protect a larger landscape, you can bet those would be sliced and diced in ranchettes and whatever else, mm -hmm. you know, now. Yep. 
And there are a lot of examples of those kind of things. So I think there's a lot of things you can point to that say monuments are, it's a really good tool to have. But I also, living in Utah, know how difficult it is to, um, just politically, to even have that conversation with a lot of my neighbors here in Moab that, you know, don't like the federal government. <laughs> yeah. And so... So it's like, and plus the thing about national monuments is the president makes a big proclamation and then you got to fill in most of the details later, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas if you do legislation, you get most of the details ahead of time. People know what they're getting when they vote for it ahead of time. So yeah. legislation's better way to do it. But if you can't get legislation done, and before this Emory County bill, there's not been a lot of legislative successes in Utah. I mean, there was the Washington County Bill down around Zion that was kind of the outlier, but besides that, not much. Mm -hmm. And so, big disappointment when the PLI goes down in flames. Everybody starts beating the monuments drum. Access funds like, well, we're gonna, we are gonna support legislation as long as we can, but we see the writing on the wall, and so we're gonna go in hard on this monument, and we're gonna also not just support the tribes, which we did and did several presentations in front of the Intertribal Commit Coalition, yep. which resulted in letters of support to President Obama from for what our proposals were, which was a first, I think you might have referenced that. But we also lobbied hard to see EQ to get climbing in the proclamation. And like you said, the first time climbing has ever been put in a <clears throat> uh, presidential proclamation was in the Bears Ears National Monument. Mm -hmm. And the reason we did that was we wanted a seat at the table for, for management planning. And also because we knew that most of the focus and interest of the administration was, you know, probably rightfully so, around all the cultural resources um, related to Cedar Mesa and, and those areas. We wanted to make sure that there was also a really strong focus on the world-class climbing at Indian Creek. So getting climbing in the proclamation, in our view, was, uh, it was a really good way for us to get, get a seat at the table for the eventual monument and plan that would come later, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so, so that happened. Monument occurs. Half of Utah is pissed off. Half of Utah is happy. President Trump gets elected and Senator Hatch is lobbying him hard to downsize the monument. And he, he does that, I think it was like a year ago, last December. Yep, that's right. He issues another proclamation that downsizes the monument. I'm forgetting the numbers right now, but it's like a third of its original size. Yeah, I think that's what I've read before. So we were approached by a group of litigants to join the lawsuit challenging the reduction of the monument and kind of the the main group leading the the lawsuit was the attorneys general for all the tribes right it was really there they had the most skin in the game ancestral homelands you know it was really a, a tribally focused monuments they were the leaders so they had their own set of attorneys and separate lawsuit and then there was a group of um more kind of conventional environmental groups. So the Southern Utah Wilderness Alliances and uh, Justices of the World, they formed their own uh, group of plaintiffs and filed their own uh, separate lawsuit. And then a third bucket of litigants came together and that included 
folks like Friends of Cedar Mesa and mm -hmm. the paleontological groups and the archaeology groups and National Trust and all that. And we were approached to, to represent the sort of recreation voice, the people that were, were harmed in the recreation community by the downsizing of this because we've been you know, the most aggressive in trying to both collaborate with the tribes but also um, uh, get climbing acknowledged in the in the proclamation and i should say there are other recreation activities listed in the proclamation but they were mostly kind of more the conventional ones you would see in any proclamation mm -hmm. not sort of the niche sport like climbing right um so so we've been involved in this lawsuit and you know there's <laughs> just like any lawsuit um there's been a lot of uh it's just been really slow moving and as the access fund, we, uh, you know, we have what's called standing in a lawsuit. You have to get members that uh, file basically statements that declare their interest in the area, uh, their intention to go back, and why they're, why they're harmed. And um, so we got three of our members to file standing statements, essentially, on our behalf. Michael Kennedy, you know, founder of Climbing and all that. Yep. That's one of them. Um, a woman named Eve Tallman, longtime climber. Uh, she's our former librarian here in Moab. Mm -hmm. one. And then also a guy named Brad Barlidge, who is a super psyched, longtime Indian Creek climber, Salt Lake based, has worked for a number uh, of like Black Diamond and others over the years. We got our own our own members to do standing, and we're we are in that lawsuit right now. And those it's really been marked by a lot of procedural filings to this point, basically battles over where the case should be heard. We won that battle. It's going to stay in D.C. The government tried to move it to Utah where they did a more favorable judge, but it's still in D.C. And then just a number of other kind of little skirmishes related to who can intervene. That means like a, a, an entity that has got a unique interest in the outcome of the case, like the state of Utah, they can intervene and file their own motions, that kind of stuff. Um, and then the government has filed what's called a motion to, to dismiss um, pleading, which is essentially this pro forma filing that's done all the time where they just try to get the court to kick, you know, to dismiss the lawsuit because they don't think we got standing or whatever it might be. We've got some really great lawyers helping us pro bono in D.C., a firm called Hogan Lovells. That's great. And they've, they're extremely experienced in this federal law, and um, you know they've met hundreds and hundreds of lawyers, and they've argued many times before the U.S. Supreme Court, which is probably where this is going to end up. And they're confident that we're going to they're confident that we're going to survive this motion to dismiss, and that we'll probably get to the merits of the case hopefully by this summer. Mm -hmm. And they feel like our arguments are, in other words, the Antiquities Act allows presidents to establish monuments based on what they think is the smallest amount needed to protect the objects that are identified in the proclamation to be protected. Yep. And, but it's a one-way street. You can't, it's nonsensical to say a subsequent president can then come in and um, pass judgment on what that prior president thought was the smallest amount necessary. Yep. And it's pretty clear in the Antiquities Act and a lot of the legislative history and, and other sort of legal documents that uh, most legal scholars agree with that. But 
you just never know how, how it's going to work out. Mm-hmm. You know, much of Indian Creek remains in the downsized monument. Yeah, I was going to say, you know. It's, so it's... this is a good segue maybe to what that even means and where we're going to go yeah. next. But, I mean, most of Indian Creek remains in the downsized monument. There are some cracks in the main corridor that are outside, like, the wall. And Cliffs of Insanity, Cliffs of too, Insanity right? Yep. are out, yeah, but... But what we did lose were all the all the climbing, you know, a lot of what we really, we cared about in the monument too wasn't just the Indian Creek climbing. It was the more remote backcountry areas like Lockhart Basin mm-hmm. was removed and Valley of the Gods was removed and um, some other kind of more remote places over by Fry Canyon mm-hmm. were removed. So that's where we had to assert our injury, right? But But maybe kind of a good way to tie it all up here is where are we now? What's happening um, at Indian Creek? The reason I was down at Dugout Ranch today is I was talking to the Red family about their thoughts on the management plan. And so the despite the lawsuit and the downsizing and everything else, the BLM was directed through these proclamations, both the Obama proclamation and the Trump proclamation, to develop a management plan for the area. And the Access Fund um, submitted comments we did that joint with the Friends of Indian Creek and Salt Lake Climbers Alliance. You can find those on our website. Basically, what we viewed as sort of a vision for this place 20 years from now. And actually, we're going to try to do an event probably this fall down at Indian Creek where we're going to try to get a bunch of climbers together, hopefully over at like the Dugout Ranch. they got a big research center kind of pavilion there where we can get people together and just do kind of this, what's your vision of this place in 20 years from now kind mm-hmm. of thing, you know. Awesome. But that's really what our... What our comments outlined in terms of everything from, I mean, most of it's not even really about climbing. It's about everything related to climbing, how you get to the climbing area, where you camp, where you park, where you hike, where you stage, where you go to the toilet. Should it be paid? What do Mm -hmm. you do with your pets? You know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And, um, but the, the weird thing is, so Obama issues proclamation, creating the monument, directs the agency to organize an advisory committee made up of all these different interested parties, recreation being one of them. We're like, great, that's us. We're recreation. We want to sit at the table. Okay, fast forward. Trump issues proclamation downsizing the monument and says expressly, anything I don't change in my proclamation from the Obama uh, proclamation is still the law of the land. He didn't change the advisory committee direction that advisory committee was supposed to was supposed to be organized for the plan right yeah um well they're about to issue their final draft they went through scoping they went through draft alternatives yep they did public meetings Mm -hmm. all of this without the benefit of the required federal advisory committee act committee it's called the faca committee you have to certify it and all this crazy stuff Mm -hmm. so our point is and I got nominated to be a committee. They went through the whole nomination process kind of too late, and they're still haven't done anything. So they're going to get sued on that. I'm not saying we're going to sue them, but I can guarantee some environmental group is going to sue them because they failed to do what's in black and white in the proclamations. It's just like a standing. So here we are, just one step forward, half a step back, or whatever the saying is. And so it's a little <laughs> frustrating, but we're still committed to being involved in this management plan because we're not going to just, 
you know, walk away. If this plan, even if they get litigated on it or it, they lose the, the bigger lawsuit on downsize, there's tons of work that's gone into this planning process mm -hmm. that will survive into whatever the subsequent plan is. They're just going to have to build it out to a much larger footprint. You know what I mean? Yep. So, um, so where are we now? Well, they're about to issue their land and management plan. They still haven't certified an advisory committee that's required for the plan. We'll see where that goes. But there's been a lot of interesting work. And for me, it's really been, I think, a positive thing in that, um, you know, again, like I was talking about before, is this tension, especially is true with Indian Creek. Like the thing they most climbers like about Indian Creek is its undeveloped developed character. And it isn't a park. There isn't a ranger breathing down their neck, mm -hmm. right? Right. But how do we balance that? And I respect that. I mean, I was a dirtbag climber for a long time just in the back of my truck. Nothing wrong with dirtbag climbers. Those are my people. But um, <laughs> you know what I mean? I wanna, we want to protect those opportunities also where it makes sense. The question is, does it make sense anymore at Indian Creek? Right? Yeah. Given the, the astronomical levels that are increasing every year there's just shit everywhere that there isn't a toilet yep you know dogs are digging stuff up people are having creeks giving raves um you know there's new guidebooks that are always going to happen i think carl did a good job in trying to in the most recent guidebook carl cully and trying to like do environmental messaging in there and stuff but yeah he definitely did. It, it's always new crags you know and and they the blm is under resourced so they haven't even been able to do environmental analyses to clear new trail you know trail building up to existing cliffs so access funds got our conservation team right ty tyler our stewardship director was down at this meeting talking about what's online for projects and we've only got you know authorization to do trail work at like uh battle of the bulge donnelly uh, pistol whipped wall and Scarface. Oh wow, that's it. That's it. Wow. Think of all those other, right? So it's sort of, I mean, that's one good outcome that can come out of this plan is we're trying to argue or make the case that, hey, BLM, you need to step back and you need to do like a full systems recreation plan for this place. Like they're still trying to do things, like one issue at a time in a silo, you know. Yeah. And we're trying to say no. This is the climbing system. This is what climbers do when they come here. Let's analyze this on a landscape level exactly, and make sure it all fits together and it's durable that will survive decades because these plans typically go, you know, 20 years or something. So what we're trying to do is figure out what is the appropriate, you know, and we support mostly what's sort of what's called the adaptive management yeah, uh, alternative yep. in the plan. But there's, we pick and choose kind of a la carte the best pieces we think from all the alternatives. But basically the bottom line is let's, Let's not overregulate climbers, whether it's with, you know, going to the bathroom or pets or whatever right now, but let's put a marker down and have some baseline data and have some indicators that say, hey, if this trend continues in a bad way, I mean, let's remember, we all want this place to retain its, its natural character mm -hmm. and protect it. But if we see this stuff going, you know, the trend continuing in a bad direction, we need to have some authority in this plan to increase, you know, whether it's regulation or increase some kind of infrastructure, trail building, 
staging area, parking, certainly camping. Like one of the biggest problems is just like a said, campground creep and it, they got nobody down there to, to enforce it. And it's continues to this day. And yeah. so, you know, it's sort of like, all right, does it make sense? We got to camp the sites. They were actually capped back in 04 where we retained some uh, dispersed campsites, but also identified, you know, the campgrounds of which, what, two are pay now? And it's like, okay, so should they all be pay in 10 years from now with some overflow areas like at uh, this place that was authorized at the top of the switchbacks as you drive into the Creek called Shea Vista Campground? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, there's the states that, uh, like the Cottonwood Camp out by Way Rambo, that's on state land, so we can't control that. But Oh, really? I didn't know that. Yeah, that and there's a couple of other places. That that place is also controversial. Climbers, if you're listening to this, don't mess with the diversion dam as you're camping out there. The that's the Reds diversion dam, and they're you know ranchers and water. That's a big deal. Mm -hmm. um, and they lease that for a lot of money from the state. So um, anyway, there's so so I guess maybe that's the way to wrap this is just say. We have an opportunity now to really care um, and have an effect on what Indian Creek's gonna look like in 20 years from now. Mm -hmm. And um, we do need to protect these opportunities we've always had. And we wanna make sure that the place continues to look like Indian Creek the first time we saw it. But there are probably gonna be some hard changes in the future. You know, this isn't just like Access Fund or Friends of Indian Creek or anybody else saying how it's gonna be. We want to we want to make sure that there's a lot of um, buy-in and input and conversation from the user community, and so that's why we're really trying to brainstorm what's the moment where we can really bring people together for a Indian Creek specific conversation on topics. You know, maybe have like a slideshow and drink some beer, but talk about should you have your pet or dog on a leash from now on? You know, yeah. Um, should we have pay camping? Should you know what are the what are the sideboards that we should have so we can keep this place as we love it for you know the next decades? And so what we're hoping we're going to do is something this fall. And so we'll, you know, Friends Indian Creek uh, Facebook page, we'll be trying to announce stuff. We'll do stuff through Access Fund too and try to figure out where that goes. But Well, I look forward to it. I, you, you can bet, bet on me being there for sure. Awesome. <laughs> All right, Jason. Well, I'm, I'm going to give you the award for the longest episode so far. So I'm super psyched on everything you had to say. That was extremely informational and, and useful. And I hope everyone gets something out of that because you're a wealth of information. And thank you for everything you do locally and in D.C. It's, it's fantastic work. Well, awesome, Peter. Thanks for all your interest in this. And uh, I hope you can uh, edit out all the mumbling and ums and stuff and make it a compelling listen. <laughs> for somebody's long road trip from Boulder to Indian Creek. Oh, for sure. They'll get part way there. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks. Have Thanks a good one. Time. Appreciate yeah. it. Bye-bye. See ya. Thank you all for listening to episode six. And thanks to Jason for spending almost an hour and a half of his time to chat with me and bring us all up to speed on the latest climbing news coming out of Utah. If you want to stay up to date on the latest policy news and other climbing related news, be sure to subscribe to Access Fund's newsletter, which you can find on their website, and also give them a follow on the major, major social media channels. 
They're always putting the most important climbing news out there and also providing opportunities for all of us to be involved and take action. And just as a reminder, or if this is your first time listening, you can find the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Access Fund's website. If you are listening through iTunes or SoundCloud, be sure to subscribe to the show. And if you could, please leave a comment or review. I greatly appreciate it. And that's all I got for now. So I will catch you all uh, for episode seven. Thanks so much.